the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to today's edition of The Plumb Line, brought to you by Reasons for Hope, training and equipping a new generation to stand boldly on the Word of God. You can find information about them at r4h.com. That's the letter R, then F-O-R-H dot com. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, I'll be joined once again by Leanne Trees, the managing editor of a site called Beautiful Christian Life. We'll continue our discussion about biblical headship, submission, authority from a biblical worldview. So stay with me for the broadcast, and you can reach out to me via email at this address, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Remember, Plum is P-L-U-M-B, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Open Door Financial was founded with the inspiration of using biblical wisdom to create financial plans and investment strategies that lead to financial peace and build the kingdom of God. We guide families and small business owners on how to save money, reduce taxes, get out of debt, build enough retirement income, and be more generous. We help you discover God's plan for your finances and fulfill your God-given dreams and purpose. Call Jason Bat at Open Door Financial at 619-794-7133. That's 619-794-7133 or visit opendoor-financial.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Centaurus Financial, Inc., member FINRA and SIPC, a registered broker-dealer and registered investment advisor. Open Door Financial and Centaurus Financial are not affiliated entities. Proverbs Payments is a partner with The Plumb Line in helping me to raise the funds necessary for broadcasting this gospel-proclaiming show. Proverbs Payments is a Christian credit card processing company who is kingdom-focused instead of profit-focused. To learn about how they can benefit your business or ministry, visit ProverbsPayments.com. On today's edition of The Plumb Line, I'm your host, Jay Rudolph, and I'm joined once again by Leanne Trees, the managing editor of Beautiful Christian Life, website beautifulchristianlife.com. And we're in part two of a series talking about biblical submission, authority, headship from a biblical worldview. And this time around, we're going to focus on another column that you can find at beautifulchristianlife.com. This one's entitled, Are There Limits to Male Headship? And it's particularly focused upon male authority within the church, within the body of Christ. And so we're going to look especially at that aspect. We may draw on some other components of marriage and family and things like we did in the first broadcast. But our Scott Clark wrote this piece for Beautiful Christian Life. And Leanne Trees, again, is the managing editor of that website, beautifulchristianlife.com. So welcome back, Leanne. And let's go ahead and dig into this aspect of it here as we've kind of established the authority structure that God set up with 
within the family, going back to the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, and that authority structure is also applied to the church when we get especially to the New Testament and look into passages, and 1 Timothy 2 comes to mind, but other scriptures as well. So the question is posed here, are there limits to male headship? And maybe we can kind of start by just sharing a little bit about our Scott Clark here, and your thoughts, obviously you appreciate what he had to say on this subject. Thanks so much again for having me on the plumb line. The point Dr. Clark is trying to make here is that, yes, there are limits to the exercising of male headship, and there have been people in the church who have wanted to apply what Paul is saying in First Timothy 2 and other related passages to include all spheres of life. You know, they might claim that a woman can never teach a man or that she shouldn't even be an authority over men in a work environment. But this isn't what Paul is addressing here. He is specifically referring to the official church service in First Timothy and to how Christian husbands and wives relate to each other in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Mm, yeah, we read a good deal of Ephesians 5 in the last broadcast, and I hope people, when they listen to the plumb line, have the scriptures handy and are able to refer to these. So I'm not going to go and read those again, but I'm going to go ahead and read First Timothy 2, 8 through 15, because that's really the main context for what we're going to be talking about. It says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Now, that would take a week's worth of programs easily to to address all of that. So we're going to not try to cram it all in here. I'm going to focus specifically on the roles of men and women within the church context here. So really kind of looking at just the aspect of submissiveness, what we mean by that. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Again, that's in the context of a church and so that's what I really want to draw kind of a laser beam focus on that aspect. And let's begin with a little bit of context here, because that's where our Scott Clark begins, pointing out that, you know, to understand this properly, we've got to understand the context, right? Yes. And Paul is specifically addressing the church service and an order in the ecclesiastical realm, both in terms of the family and the church. All right, so Paul is not addressing secular situations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and one of the first things that he says is this principle of headship in the church must be applied and exercised carefully. What does he mean by that? Well, one of the things that is very important is, again, this problem where people are taking this verse to have a broader context than it's meant to have. It's just like where Paul talks about, I believe it is in yeah, 1 Corinthians 5, you know, when he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but he didn't mean to go out of the world. You know, he, when Paul was saying this, he wasn't talking about, you know, starting a monastic order. So Paul is specifically talking in 1 
Corinthians 5 about not associating with fellow believers, you know, who are uh, living an ongoing sinful lifestyle. And the point of that is hopefully to bring them to repentance. And so here, you know, Dr. Clark is saying we need to distinguish the realm in which Paul is addressing here, mm, yeah. which, which, which is basically within the kingdom of God. Yes, and within the body of Christ, it's an orderly yes. establishment that God made. And as we referenced when we talked about the family in the last broadcast, this is something that, you know, it's not a, a man-made establishment here. God ordained it to be this way, and clearly this is God's Word, and we should follow it, obviously. We should desire to follow it. And so that's the challenge that I run into here, where people will take this and they'll say, this is not applicable for our day today. I don't see anything in Scripture that's says that this male headship within the family and within the context of the church service is not applicable anymore today. Do you? Well, I think, yeah, there are a lot of people that want to try to claim that, and we could definitely discuss that in the context of also 1 Corinthians 11, if you'd like, but, you know, and also in terms of 1 Timothy 2, you know, what is Paul saying when he's talking about Eve being deceived and all that? But, I mean, I think one of the big takeaways from First Timothy 2 is that Paul is basically going back to Genesis 2 and 3 to support his argument for why women are to be silent in the church. And, and to be clear, Paul is not saying here that women can't join in corporate prayer or congregational singing or, you know, public confessions of faith. He's specifically referring to the authoritative teaching and preaching of God's Word. Yeah, and we'll see if we have some time to get more deeply into Genesis 2 and 3 here, but there are a number of things, of course, that we want to cover here in the broadcast. And you mentioned 1 Corinthians 11, and I've heard this brought up from people who say, well, if we're going to say that a woman can't be the pastor of the church, then we also should have every woman should be wearing a head covering uh, as well. And they reference, you know, the scriptures in 1 Corinthians 11, I believe it is there. And so maybe you can address that for us. Yes. So regarding 1 Corinthians 11 and the argument, if head coverings were cultural and Christian women don't have to cover their heads today, then why isn't women teaching and preaching authoritatively in the church also cultural? Now, it's really important to note, Jay, here that in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing appropriate attire in the official church service so that services would take place in an orderly and God-honoring way. And I also want to note, because this comes up, you know, that Paul mentions women prophesying in the church service in 1 Corinthians 11.5. He's not necessarily addressing the appropriateness of that. The focus is on clothing. And the reason for that is because the way people dressed in first century Corinth, which was part of the Roman Empire at the time, had significant connotations. So there's two issues going on attire-wise in the Corinthian church. I want to know that a lot of what I'm about to say are from sermons on 1 Timothy 2 and 1 Corinthians 11 and 14 from my pastor, Zach Keel. He's author of two books, Sacred Bond, Covenant Theology Explored, and The Unfolding Word, The Story of the Bible from Creation New Creation. So the first issue was men dressing like women. For the Romans, when their male priests officiated in worship, praying and sacrificing, they would drape their togas over their heads. And the Emperor Augustus, 
and others after him would do this as well, since Augustus also performed pagan priestly duties. So Augustus covered his head in prayer to show he was also the religious head of the empire. And numerous statues have been found around the Roman Empire depicting Augustus with his head covered while praying. So this was a form of Roman propaganda. And this image of the emperor having his head covered was also on some Roman coins. So what was happening was, as this image of the Roman emperor was propagated in the Roman Empire, Corinthian men, they started to copy this pagan practice of covering their heads while conducting worship, basically stating, look at me and my high status. I'm elite. Another problem with men covering their heads in worship was that when the Greeks looked at a man with his head covered, they thought he looked like a woman. So the normal dress for a married woman in Corinth was to wear a covering over her head. So the Corinthian man with his head covered while officiating in worship was conveying, I'm high status. But the people in the congregation were thinking, he's dressing like a woman. And so this is why Paul says that a man who does this shames or dishonors his head. So in light of 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Christ, there is a double meaning to the sense his head. First, his head refers to the man himself. He's shaming himself by looking like a woman. But the head of, of every man is Christ, though the man also shames Christ. So he brings dishonor to Christ by drawing attention to himself and looking like a woman. Now, again, this is not about head coverings being wrong. Aaron, the high priest, wore a turban in his priestly duty. It's about dressing appropriately for the culture in which these believers resided. Now, the second issue was women not covering their heads, as was the cultural norm. And in Paul's day, there was a movement by some women, wives to be more like men, and historians call them the new women. So basically, these women were trying to act and dress more like men. And a wife who prayed in public with no covering was basically saying she was free from all restraints. She was promiscuous. That's why Paul is stating at the end of verse 5 that such a, a woman is the same as one with her head shaven, because the shaving of a woman's head was a punishment for adultery. It shames the woman in public as an adulteress. Mm. So, Paul, this is why he's saying a wife praying uncovered in public shames her head. She not only shames her head, but she also shames her husband by making the statement that she sleeps around. But here's the real issue, right? Nobody's really talking. Well, some people are. But, you know, whether women should be wearing head coverings nowadays. But rather, why can't women preach or teach in the official church service? And this is basically why. Because, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul states that man is the image of God, meaning he's the representation of God. So for a man ought not to cover his head, since he's the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. And so this means that God has only revealed himself as a man. Christ was incarnate as a man and not a woman. And God is officially represented in worship in the preaching of God's word. So this is why Paul is saying it's shameful for a woman to speak in church. To do so is for the woman to cast God as a female, which is not proper. It goes against God's ordained order. And so you can see a man covering his head you know, while officiating worship. He was looking like a woman. So I hope that 
makes more sense mm-hmm. with all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Then again, as we said, bringing an understanding of the context and the culture around as well and how that applies to all of this is vitally important if we're going to understand these things correctly and from a biblical worldview. So thank you so much for that. Leanne Trees is my guest. And again, beautifulchristianlife.com is the website. She's managing editor of that site. And we've got a lot more that I want to discuss and cover here in the second half of this broadcast. So stay with me. By the way, if you missed the first show on this subject or the first half of this second show, you can find those when you go places where you go for podcasts. Take Spotify, for example. Just put in The Plum Line with Jay Rudolph at Spotify, The Plum Line with Jay Rudolph, and you'll be able to look up this uh, subject and listen to this or any other broadcast of The Plum Line. And you can reach me at this email address, theplumlineradio at gmail.com. Support for The Plum Line is provided by these fine business sponsors. Abundant Life Landscape, your irrigation repair specialist. Call them at 619-277-2410. And by Charles McLucas, Jr., founder and CEO of Charitable Trust Administrators, Inc. Learn about the benefits of a charitable remainder trust at ctai-ca.com. Support for The Plum Line is also provided by Simple Turn. Their online health resources teach your kids how health really works and how to avoid 90% of chronic disease. Get your family's free health course at mysimpleturn.com. Thanks for tuning in to The Plum Line. I'm your host, Jay Rudolph. On the broadcast today, I'm joined by Leanne Trees, Managing Editor of Beautiful Christian Life. You can find the website at beautifulchristianlife.com, and we're going to be sharing A little bit more here about some thoughts from a column written by R. Scott Clark for Beautiful Christian Life. In there, he quotes 1 Timothy 2, 8-15, through and that's kind of the foundation for our discussion about biblical headship, submission, authority from a biblical worldview, our topic on the plumb line today. And we've really been zooming in on this, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. And what does that mean in the context of the church service, which is what is being addressed by Paul as he wrote this to Timothy. He's really explaining the establishment and how to set up the church church there at Ephesus where Timothy was, and the understanding that we're gaining from this and trying to pass along is that this means that a female pastor at a church is not a permissible thing according to Scripture, and that seems like, uh, I know, I'm probably going to get some feedback, no doubt, and I'm looking for feedback. I always love feedback, so I would love it if 100 people sent me emails and questioned me about this. I would be glad to receive that because I'm always looking for feedback, but that's the reality. If you want to take this to the basic practical level, That's the reality of what's being said here, is it not? Yes, that is definitely the reality, Jay. Most definitely, Paul is saying that the order for Christ's church follows the order that existed in creation. And that's why Paul is going back to Genesis in this passage in 1 Timothy 2. Now, some people do try to make the claim that there was no authoritative male headship before the fall, and that in Christ, you know, there's supposed to be this restoration to what occurred before the fall, but actually there was order before the fall. We have many New Testament passages that are very clear about order in the church and the family. Very clear. I could list them: First Corinthians chapters eleven to fourteen, Ephesians five, First Timothy two, Titus two, First Peter three, Colossians three etc. So definitely what Paul is doing here is 
he's going back to Genesis to ground his point. And we can know from Genesis 2 and 3 that Adam did have authoritative headship because there's three points I want to bring out. One, it was Adam and not Eve who was given the responsibility to keep God's command not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in Genesis 2, 16 through 17, God made a conditional covenant with Adam to test his fidelity to his creator. Eve hadn't even been created at the time God commanded Adam not to eat of this tree. So Adam was the covenant head who represented all of humanity, and by his disobedience, he brought condemnation on himself and all of his posterity. Similarly, Jesus is the covenant head who, by his fully obedient life and perfect sacrificial death, secured salvation and eternal life for all who trust in him. And Paul goes into this in chapter 5 of Romans on the first Adam and the last Adam. So first covenant was with Adam. Adam exercised authority over the animals by naming them. He also named his helper woman, later named her Eve, mother of all living. And even though Eve sinned first, God placed the fault on Adam in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, as he was the one who bore the responsibility to keep God's command as covenant head. So what point is Paul making here in 1 Timothy 2? We read in Genesis 3 how Satan seeks to overthrow God's established order for the human family. And we see two role reversals. So the first is that the serpent approached Eve and not Adam. You know, here, this is an indication of Satan's attempt to overthrow God's design for the order of creation. The second role reversal is that Adam listens to Eve instead of obeying God's clear command. So in 1 Timothy 2, Paul, and again, a lot of this is coming from a sermon from my pastor, Zach Keel on 1 Timothy 2, but Paul's specifically addressing order pre-fall and post-fall. So in 1 Timothy 2.12, Paul affirms God's order post-fall under the curse. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And what's the foundation for this order? In 1 Timothy 2.13, Paul goes back to creation and the fact that man was created first and then Eve. And this priority of Adam in creation is also expressed in the marriage relationship, which as we read about in Ephesians 5, relates to Christ in the church. So it's key here, the congregation, both male and female, is the bride of Christ. And the male minister represents Christ, as we were talking about in regard to 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul is writing that the head of every man is Christ. So the minister is to be a man. Now, I also want to note what Paul's saying in First Timothy that Adam was not deceived, but the woman was. He's, he's not saying that women are, you know, more easily deceived or more gullible than men. So rather in this passage, Paul's going back to Genesis 3.13, where Eve says to God, the serpent deceived me. And Genesis 3.16, where God says, your pain will multiply in childbearing and your husband shall rule over you. And here Paul is likely referring to the upheaval of role that took place in the fall. Mm. So the role reversals that occurred in Genesis 3 were against God's design and order for creation. And in 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 14, Paul is affirming that both pre-fall and post-fall, God's order for the family and church has not changed. 
Yeah, amen. That's a good start into what is a much deeper subject and one that is worthy of you uh, in the listening audience diving into more deeply. Certainly would love it if you would do that. And I want to say also that that's a great lead into the closing statement that I want to make here, which actually comes from a column written by Denny Burke. And you can find this at crossway.org. You can just look up biblical submission. I imagine that one will pop up as one of many columns at crossway.org. But Denny Burke wrote this. He said, sin came into the world when the serpent strove to assault God's order, likewise to subvert the headship principle that God established at the very beginning would be to subvert God's design. This is why he prohibits women from teaching and exercising authority within the gathered assembly. Their prohibition is not because of deficiency of intellect among women, nor is it due to some situation specific to the Ephesian church. Because this prohibition is rooted in the order of creation, it is a transcultural principle to be observed for all times and ages. Male headship in marriage is not a result of the fall, but it is a part of the order of creation. So also then is male eldership in the church. And that is so succinctly, and I think wisely put by Denny Burke, that I wanted to give you time to comment on that, Leanne, but I think that hits it so well, and we're pretty much out of time, that I think that's a good way to to summarize and wrap up. But uh, any quick thought to finalize us here? Yes, I really want to encourage women listening today that there is so much that you can do to serve the saints and be light to the world. I can't ever recall knowing a Christian woman who loved the Lord and served the saints faithfully who was not respected in her church. And uh, we, we need to look to the examples of women such as Sarah, Jael, Abigail, Hannah, Elizabeth, Mary, Priscilla, Lydia, Junia, and Phoebe, etc., and see that the Bible includes many accounts of godly women, and it also includes accounts of ungodly women. For example, in the book of Proverbs, we're both warned about the seductress in chapter 5 and encouraged by the example of the strong, godly woman in chapter 31. Mm. So instead of assuming the Bible is gender stereotyping, we need to determine what God is revealing to us in His Word about His redemptive plan in Christ, and how we are to live as believers in this time of waiting for Christ's return. Christian men have tremendous responsibilities as husbands, fathers, and leaders in the church. And as women, we can and need to rest in God's good order that he's established for the family and the church. And there is so much Christian women can do and are needed to do as we all serve together, men and women, to the glory of God in all things. Mm, that is such an important conclusionary statement there. Thank you so much for adding that. Leanne Therese, my guest, and appreciate you being with me, Leanne. Thank you, Jay. It's been a joy to be on the show. Mm. Again, Leanne Trees is managing editor of Beautiful Christian Life. You can find out more at beautifulchristianlife.com on the website, and you can reach out to me to share your thoughts, comments, questions about the broadcast. Maybe you want to share some support because this is a listener-supported radio ministry. You can find out how to do that when you email the Plumline Radio at gmail.com. Plum is P-L-U-M-B, the Plumline Radio at gmail.com. We'll see you next time on the Plum Line. The Plum Line has been sponsored by Reasons for Hope. Check them out at r4h.com. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.